This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. In your face. Baby 
Alicia Keys there. Unthinkable. You're on In Your Face on 3CR. On today's show, I'll be talking election issues with Morgan Carpenter from Intersex Human Rights Australia and Nikki Bath from the National LGBTI Health Alliance. But we do have Morgan Carpenter on the line. Morgan, welcome to 3CR. Hello. Um, thank you for the invitation to be here today. It's a great pleasure. Now, of course, this week a coalition of LGBTIQ organisations are hosting an online election forum with candidates representing the three major parties to discuss queer policy issues. And, of course, it was hosted by Quality Australia, the National LGBTI Health Alliance and, of course, Intersex Human Rights Australia. To what extent did the parties actually support amendments to federal anti-discrimination law to protect intersex people? Well, I think... Um before we get there, I think it's worth just having a little, you know, discussion about what we mean by intersex, because I think people are in some ways justifiably confused about what we mean. I mean, the typical definition of what we mean by intersex is that intersex means it's a word for people who are born with physical or biological sex characteristics that don't fit medical or social norms for female or male bodies. And, you know, that definition talks about our, our, our physical characteristics, but it doesn't say anything about whether we're queer or whether we're cisgender or uh, or whether we are, from a patriarchal perspective, whether we're male or female. Um, and in many cases, intersex people grow up to be cisgender, heterosexual, and male. Um, but equally, we might grow up to be queer, trans, and to be a woman, uh, to have all sorts of different ways of understanding ourselves. One of the problems we face with talking about intersex within a queer framework is that people really assume that to be queer means that you are old enough to have agency to express an identity when um, some of the key human rights violations that we face actually affect us before we're old enough or before we have information to give ourselves, to have agency to make those kind of decisions about who we are. Um, so I think that's really important to, as a kind of a grounding to help talk about what political parties might understand by who we are and, and what that means in terms of what they uh, might then commit to uh, when being in government. Um, so your question was about um, anti-discrimination law and uh, currently, un- under the last Labour government, um, federally, we-, we have intersex status in law, um, and that that is a form of protection for intersex people from discrimination. But it hasn't been that effective, and partly it hasn't been very effective, because there are lots of kind of imputations about identity issues to something that is defined in purely physical terms. Um, and... It also hasn't protected infants and children from discrimination and stigmatization and harmful practices in medical settings. So there's a long way to go. And there are other ways in which discrimination law also needs to change to be to be um, helpful to people born with intersex variations. So what are the parties proposed? I mean, each party is seeking to be supportive of people with intersex variations but not all of them understand very clearly. 
Of course, the three candidates at the forum were Andrew Bragg from the Liberals, the Senate candidate for New South Wales, Janet Rice from the Greens, and Sandra Louise Pratt from uh, the Labor Party in WA. Uh, how would you describe the policy positions from the three major parties regarding medical interventions on infants born with intersex conditions? Were any of them satisfactory with their responses? Oh, yeah. Um, well, well, thank you. That's, that, that's probably the, 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 the most important question to answer in terms of the, the kinds of issues that intersex organisations have been raising about our human rights in Australia. Um, so the three parties each um, made statements on this, um, and they've also written down some commitments on these issues as well. And what they've written down is in some ways even more interesting than what they have said as part of that that. Um, that, that uh, digital forum, the online forum. So um, Labour and the Greens have both committed to reforms to ensure that um, infants and children born with variations of such characteristics are not subjected to forced or coercive medical interventions, which is fantastic news. Um, uh, and Labour, for example, talks about uh, committing to promoting and supporting the human rights-based patient consent model um, that reflects the kind of the, the lifetime consequences of medical treatments and procedures. And it says that Labour will prohibit modifications to sex characteristics undertaken for social rationales without informed consent and ensure a right not to undergo sex assignment treatment. Um, th- these are all really welcome um, statements. Uh, the Greens talk about uh, insect people having a right to bodily integrity, including personal consent to medical or surgical interventions, which is really helpful. Um, and in making those commitments, both of those parties are drawing upon um, work over a very long period of time, including the recommendations of a cross-party Senate inquiry in 2013. But when we look at the Morrison government, um, its approach is a bit more Difficult. What they've said is that they think that the regulation in medical treatment is a matter of the states and territories, which is also something they've said in the context of um, uh, what, what, uh, a sexual orientation change um, uh, procedures. Um, so they've said that. They also say that um, decision making is within the scope of parental responsibility, which kind of ducks the question about whether or not the kinds of interventions we're talking about are actually human rights violations or not. Um, and that's a problem. But it, but the, the government has also then gone on to talk about um, uh, children with gender dysphoria, and um, it's remarked upon a number of family court cases that involve transgender children. Um, and those are not about intersex kids at all. So um, so what does that mean? I think it means that the government is actually still confused about what, what who intersex people are uh, and whether we are simply transgender or not. Um, and, and that means that um, there are some consequences that are quite harmful that come from that. And that's a pretty disappointing policy position and understanding from them, considering they've been in office for five years. Uh, you'd think a government with all the resources that they have available to them would be more on top of intersex issues than, than that and even you know, would have a, an understanding of what it means. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, 
it is disappointing because there, there are a number of individuals within the Liberal Party and the National Party who, who are well informed. But, but this is a statement that has gone through the um, processes within that party and been officially signed off um, as a statement to all of our communities. Uh, and it doesn't understand who intersex people are and it misconstrues the issues. What's even worse, I think, um, if, if I may, is I mean, we're seeing some terrible attacks again on trans people uh, in some media outlets. Uh, and these seem to be politically motivated attacks. Um, and it's awful. Um, but I think that, that, that seeing those um, also then does have consequences for intersex people, you know, who are often typically not transgender at all, because this conflation of intersex and transgender then offers an explanation for government inaction on human rights violations. They think it's going to be um, something that will be attacked by people who they think are supporting the Liberal Party. And, and I think that's really sad. Absolutely. Morgan, finally, what funding priorities do you call on Labor, the Greens and the Liberals to support for services for intersex people? Well, currently, almost all the work that intersex-led organisations do um, is unfunded. Um, I think there are three, four people who are paid to work part-time on intersex human rights and health issues in Australia. Um, and um, we are all completely stretched. Um, we're all funded um, through precarious funding. Most of it's foreign philanthropic uh, funding. Um, and there's so much that we need to change. We need legal protections, but we also need, you know, meaningful human rights affirming standards of care. Uh, and we need oversight of medical interventions. Um, and, and those can only happen with organisations that, that are resourced to contribute effectively to their development. Um, uh, and there are so many people out around Australia who are still discovering that they have intersex variation. They're discovering that they've been misled by, by doctors in their past. They've discovered that their parents have not told them stuff. They're discovering all sorts of things about their bodies. And so the same people that need help to, um, to deal with the consequences of medical treatment uh, and, and discover affirmative ways of understanding themselves. So um, all of this needs resourcing. Absolutely. Morgan Carpenter, thanks for talking to us today on 3CR. Hopefully the federal election will mean that the, uh, the winners and uh, the major parties have a better understanding of intersex issues and fund them appropriately. Thank you so much for chatting. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. The wonderful Morgan Carpenter there from Intersex Human Rights Australia. It's 16 after four. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here's Courtney Barnett. I got drunk and fell asleep atop the sheets, but luckily I left the heater on.
Courtney Barnett, History Erasure. It's 20 after four. You are in your face on 3CR with James. Wanaki Barth is the Executive Director of the National LGBTI Health Alliance and joins us on the line from Sydney. Nikki, welcome to 3CR. Thanks so much for having the Alliance on your program today. It's a great pleasure. Of course, today is Lesbian Visibility Day. What are some of the key lesbian health issues that you call on the major parties to address during this federal election campaign? Uh, just before I go there, I'd just too like to acknowledge that it's Lesbian Visibility Day today and pay particular acknowledgement and thanks to our lesbian elders whose shoulders we all and I certainly stand on today. Um, I mean, James, there's so many um, LBQ women's um, health issues and I think quite often more, a lot of the time those health issues are kind of ignored and um, invisible. What we do know from the SWASH study that's undertaken by the amazing Julie Mooney Summers and her colleagues at Sydney Uni and ACON is that our health issues are quite complex and these are, of course, election issues. We know from the um, SWASH study that 21% of the people participating in that survey um, had never had a pap smear, despite the majority of them being sexually active. We know that we have substantially higher rates in the general population of smoking. 
we're quite big drinkers and you know, nearly half of us consume more than the NHMRC guidelines. And there's a significant percentage of us that drink more than five drinks weekly or more often. So, you know, there's a whole range of things. Our rates of illicit drug use are higher. We do, you know, we do tend to have general poorer health. Um, and, you know, half of the sample of the SWASH study reported height, um, height and weight that placed them outside of the healthy weight range. And, you know, there's all of those sort of general health issues. And then we also need to talk about our mental health. And we know that we have high or very high um, psychological distress um, for a significant um, popula uh, population of the LBQ community. Um, quite a number in the source study, it was 41% of respondents had received a mental health diagnosis and 31 said that they had felt like life was not living in the past 12 months. And I think, you know, for me, when I think about our health, it's, it's so multi-layered and multifaceted. And we really need leadership and um, drive to make our health, our health issues much more visible. Of course, you co-hosted the uh, online Rainbow Election Forum uh, this week. Did any of the candidates actually specifically focus on lesbian health issues? And if so, what did they say? Yes, you know, some of these issues were raised at the election forum. And um, certainly when Louise Pratt was talking, and as it's in the election policy, relating and talking about issues of smoking and alcohol and other drugs, mental health can um, and cancer, um, as well as uh, other um, more broad LGBTI um, health issues. And, you know, I, I think I just um, acknowledge that, you know, we re again, that we need this national leadership on our health and well-being. It's not okay in such a wealthy country in 2019 that we do have such health disparities. And it's, it's time for us to stop talking about these issues. We need to actually be moving into an action phase with regards to these issues. And I think, you know, wherever we sit and land after May the 18th, there's going to be a lot of work for us to do, not only for LBQ women's health, but the health of the LGBTI communities more broadly. If Bill Shorten is elected Prime Minister, what do you think his number one LGBTI health policy priority should be within the first 100 days of his government? <laughs> um, well, for me, when I think about that in my role, I'd be saying investing in the peak functions of the Alliance. Um, you know, the Alliance is a really important organisation that's been in place for over 10 years and it's really time that we got the support to do our work and to support our members and um, the organisations and individuals that provide health-related programmes and services across Australia. But, you know, in reality, I think that the first priority is to get that Ministerial Advisory Council in place that they have committed to because I think that this will ensure that what follows in them implementing that policy platform, it makes sure we make sure that it's advised by sector experts, community and well and truly is co-designed. I, you know, I know that that whole notion of nothing about us without us is used a lot across many communities. It really does resonate so strongly for me. You know, it's enough of the fighting for our rights, enough of us being scapegoated and targeted. We need to be fully at the table so that we can be part of the decision making and hold the government to account. And for Labour to deliver on what is in their election policy, they need us. And yes, you know, you know, it is about, as they say, a fairer and a fair go. So I think, you know, having that council in place within the first hundred days of government is really important. What is the Health Alliance response to Labour's policy to ban conversion therapy? 
Oh, well, we, of course, fully support it. We were really clear on that issue when we put in the submission to, in response to the Religious Freedoms Review, where we made some recommendations, um, such as an inquiry into the extent and prevalence of um, conversion therapy. Um, You know, this is a really complex issue and there's currently not universal agreement on the civil sanctions versus the criminal penalties. And it's really important, of course, that there's national leadership um, on this issue. So that's um, a really helpful pledge from the Labour Party. Has Labour released much policy detail about how they would define conversion therapy in the Act and actually, you know, work with the states to ban it? Well, Labor um, talk about LGBTIQ conversion therapy. Um, and, you know, we can note that in Victoria, the Labor government has already committed to banning the practice. Um, I think like, well, Labor is saying that they'll work with survivor groups and coordinate with the states and territories to develop the strategy for tackling this practice, including uh, like a, a ban on um, gay conversion therapy. And this issue, of course, of course, is not just about sexuality. It's also about the practices that impact on trans and gender diverse people, such as, you know, the withholding access to gender affirming care. And it's important that all of this, that the issues for intersex people and more specifically the enforced surgeries on children and infants are, of course, included. And Morgan was alluding and talking about those things um, previously before I came on. Um Sorry. I was just going to say, how did the candidates, uh, you had Andrew Bragg, Louise Pratt and Janet Rice, how did they react to the issues that you've just raised as, as, as ones that, you know, any government should be focusing on for our community? How did they respond uh, and how would you rate their responses? Like, give us a summary, really, of, of, of their policy positions insofar as how good they are. Um, well, I think that they were diverse. I mean, the Greens have quite a strong um, policy platform going into the election, as we would all expect. Labour's is quite broad, and with the Morrison government, they were, you know, it's their platform documents the things that they've been currently doing and the things that you know they will commit to in the future. It's important for your listeners to know that um, Equality Australia has tweeted a summary. Um, that's been taken from the survey that was sent out to all of the parties. And so there's a detailed, um, you know, it's an opportunity for people to actually be able to see a better summary than what my memory will be able to give you um, on those platforms from each of the parties. How did the uh, Liberal representative Andrew Bragg go? Uh, I imagine he would have been in a difficult position sometimes because they haven't done a great deal in relation to LGBTI issues or when they have, it's been forced, such as the postal survey that still has a bit of taste in many people's mouths. I think it would be um, fair to say that um, he was in a different place being able to respond to those um, questions that were put forward. Um, and I don't think that he was necessarily as versed across the portfolios and the um, issues as maybe he needed to be. Um, and, you know, I think you're right to say that there's definitely, the, there's, you know, there's a clearer kind of um, outline from what we're seeing from the Labour Party and what we're seeing from the Greens. Um, it, and it is also important to understand, um, which he did allude to somewhat, but maybe not as clearly as he could have. And I... I think that, you know, that's just the situation he found himself in on the night. But, you know, there has been investment um, with regards to our health programs and the funding of the programs that the Alliance oversees, for example, for many years, like the Silver Rainbow work that we do 
and the, the suicide prevention work that we do, and of course, operating Q Life, and all of that is work is with our sector partners across the jurisdiction. So, um, yes, I think it was um, much more difficult in, a, in many ways for him on that night. Nikki Bath, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR and keep up the great work at the National LGBTI Health Alliance. Thank you so, so much. An absolute pleasure. Ditto. Catch you later. Cheers. Bye now, bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.